The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone, and a big welcome to anybody who stepped into the building for the first time. We all know, probably can imagine, that's not always easy to do. And we really aspire as a community, as an organization, to learn how to be more welcoming so that everybody feels safe enough to walk through the doors and take advantage of these wonderful teachings that have been passed down one generation after another now for a long, long time. It's about four or 500 BC, BCE, so a long time. And, uh, and we know, I think speaking for all the leadership, we know that we're not yet a completely or a perfectly welcoming community because, like all humans, we don't see what we don't see. And, you know, this is part of what I'd like to just share today as we get ready to do our quarterly recitation of the refuges and precepts is to really understand this. I mean, it's really, uh, in my mind, kind of what is truly beautiful, this marriage of what is so messy and uncertain and imperfect, i.e. my personality, my relationships, my communities, my world. I think that's universal, right? It's beautiful and horrific and everything in between. My personality, my relationships, my communities, and my world. And this is the sort of shocking truth And at the core, at the essence, or interpenetrating all of this messiness is not theoretical, but actual peace. Now, how do we make sense of that? And this is something that the Buddha invites us, our friends, our teachers invite us to wake up to, that the world is the way it is, my personality is the way that it is, our communities are the way that they are, unjust, imperfect, messy, beautiful, and horrific. And peace interpenetrates, or for whatever, however you want to say, the peace is here and now, and not theoretical, not philosophical, actual. And this is what we're waking up to. And it just so happens that if we do that so-called spiritual work, we know better how to dance with the imperfections of our personality and our relationships and our communities and our world. We know how to show up in a better, more creative, more nimble, more compassionate, more helpful way. And that's, I think, the essential spiritual path, not just the Buddhist spiritual path. Other traditions may not talk about it in the same kind of language, but there is a certain perennial movement. And as Buddhists or as people interested in the Buddhist teachings, this is what we take refuge in. We take refuge, for lack of a better phrase, we take refuge in being intimate or opening to the way that it is. And there's sort of two aspects of that opening. We see more clearly, we feel more intimately how messy and imperfect, and wild, 
wildly beautifully beautiful and wildly horrific life is, right? And we sense and intuit and can learn to abide in that peace, that equanimity, without denying the wild beauty and horror of life, birth and death. You know, how power is expressed in so many beautiful, healing, compassionate ways and so many oppressive ways, both within my own mind, how power moves, and in my relationship with my partner and in my relationship with everything, right? It's always like that. Watch your bird feeders and notice how the birds get along, right? Or how squirrels get along. It's everywhere. The messiness and the beauty is everywhere we care to look. And the question is, if without this so-called spiritual work, where we're learning to feel and see right into the bottom, into the core, where we discover a peace, a freedom, an ease, or whatever you want to call it, equanimity, that doesn't depend on the world being different than it is. That somehow both are true. And that's what's shocking, right? That's why, you know, whatever sort of culture or spiritual language a person might be sort of using, they describe this paradoxical kind of experience, which is the world is the world, and I'm not afraid of being here. I'm not afraid of relationship, of being embodied, of showing up, doing what I can do, and letting that be good enough. And it, and it sort of addresses the sort of age-old question, like how can there be this much suffering, this much oppression, this much injustice, you know, this much messiness in this world? There's no answer to that question. Or you could say the answer to that question is that unhindered, not holding back engagement with the world, like living our lives fully with a heart that's not so governed by fear or by self-centeredness, selfishness, right? And we're not neglecting ourselves. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of those ways that we avoid feeling and responding is we dismiss our own aching heart. We listen to the cries of others, but not to our own heart. Or we do the opposite. We can't listen to the cries of others because we're obsessed with our own pain. And this is the thing. This is why we really need, like if we care about life, our world, the situation at hand, we really have to do the spiritual work of checking out. Right? We can't, it's not enough to believe it. We have to check it out. Is there freedom, ease, peace here and now? That's not about the particular conditions or circumstances. But the thing is, if we don't bother to listen or open or trust, we're not going to hear or feel or wake up to. It's like, uh, 
we only wake up to what, like we, we need to kind of have the prompt. This is why we need wise, saintly, you know, awake beings, because they tell us, they model, there's something here and now. Are you interested? Oh, I can't, I'm too busy. <laughs> or the world's too messy. You know, we hear this a lot at a Buddhist meditation center. We hear that a lot, that kind of pushback. And, and to some degree, it's really useful pushback, like how can you put aside some time to sit when this is going on in the world? It's a, actually, it's a good question. And we need to have an answer to those kinds of questions. Like, what right do we have? Like, the Kamgang community now for the last five years, led by Corey, our construction manager, and many others on the board and in leadership, we've been developing this retreat property in a very quiet place in western Wisconsin. You know, we've been pouring a lot of energy and a lot of the donations that have come in. I don't know how far in now we are, but... I don't know, getting close to 600,000, right, of other communities' money in our retreat property, and we're not done. And, uh, like, well, how is that, how does that make sense when the world is the way that it is, right? So it, we really have to understand, like, this dynamic of, on the one hand, taking responsibility for everything, showing up, doing our best, and on the other hand, taking advantage of suitable time and places where we can drop duties and responsibilities, as wholesome as they might be, temporarily, to realize what, is, what else is here but is subtle, hard to feel, hard to see, hard to intuit. Not because it's not here, but because it's subtle. And then that so-called inner work leaves, uh, when it's done with some sincerity, I mean, we actually do the work of not now, I'm not going to worry about this, I'm not going to think about this later, but not now. We drop the concerns, the outer concerns, let's say, even the concerns that my knee hurts and I'm bored. Right? These are concerns that come up when we're doing this inner work. I've got more important things to do. We, we let those voices fade into the background and we're bringing reality, the sort of direct reality of a sitting body, for example, into the foreground. And then we bring into the foreground the peace that arises. I mentioned it today in the guided sit, the peace of seclusion, the mind that's not obsessed about my knee pain or my to-do list, or this and that, impeachment, or whatever. We're not interacting with that. We're not picking that up right now. We're letting that go, right? So we're taking the mind, the heart, and we're turning inward to the space, to the silence, to the empty stillness of what's here. It's always here, or you could say, to what's subtle. And we're letting that leave an impression on the mind, on the heart, on this life. And then we go back into the world with that impression having been left in the mind and the heart. And that 
impression is the impression of fearlessness. You can call it love, you can call it inner peace, you can call it whatever you want. But the interesting thing to notice is how you start living in a different way if you do that inner work. How you show up for your kids, how you show up at your job and your communities is different when we do that inner work as opposed to when we're not doing that inner work. And that's the difference. You know, and there we have these archetypes like, you know, Mother Teresa, an imperfect human being, probably. Some of most of you hopefully have heard of her. She's dead now, of course, but you know, set in motion. She's just an ordinary person who became a Catholic nun and seemed to have developed over the course of her life some extraordinary understanding how to show up in messy places difficult places where there was a lot of suffering and seemingly with a lot of energy, a lot of positive, useful energy. So what was the dynamic that allowed for that? You know, the religious life, the spiritual life, the inner life, we're training, we're learning, we're trusting that there's something to open up to, to wake up to. So in Buddhism, we talk about it as Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. So these three words, waking up, that's Buddha. Dhamma means the way it is. Buddha, being intimate with the way that it is. Wakefulness, waking up to the way it is. And that expresses or allows Sangha to be expressed. Sangha is sort of like showing up with love, leading with compassion, compassionate engagement, fearless, compassionate engagement. Right, so that's the sort of refuge in this particular lineage of spiritual practice we call early Buddhism, right? Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. It's sort of our code for this heart, right? Because as a concept, as a philosophy, it's not that useful unless it points us directly to something here and now. This capacity right here to be sensitive, to be awake, to be interested, being interested, being awake to the wild dynamic that's here and now, unafraid. And the fruit of that, the expression of that is love, compassionate engagement, like skillful, nimble, creative, compassionate engagement. You know, that's a beautiful thought, like even on an intellectual level, isn't it? A heart or a mind that's radically present, intimate, interested, curious with what's here and now, allowing that life to express itself, to engage in a really creative, nimble, fearless way, compassionate way. I mean, that, I can get inspired by that. And the idea is that what the Buddha tells us, what our teachers tell us is that work, that possibility, it can only be here and now. It can never be theoretical. Right? It's not enough to be inspired by the idea. We have to like, well, is that true now, here? What is it about my own subjective experience that leads to a kind of doubt? or a holding back. 
why might it why do I imagine it might be true for someone like the Buddha or Mother Teresa or who or whomever, but oh not me. Right? Where does that arrogant certainty, not me, come from? Right? That kind of spiritual doubt. I'm just oh my personality, you know, the way I was brought up. I mean we have all these excuses for holding back. And so when we do this uh, recitation once a quarter, usually around the solstices and equinoxes, you know, we're just remembering. And some of us do it every day. You know, we do the three refuges and we take the five precepts, these trainings, reminding ourselves about these trainings to not harm. Right? That's really that ethical context for this deeper work of refuge, taking refuge. Because what are we going to take refuge? If we don't consciously cultivate a refuge, then I'm going to take refuge in my likes and dislikes. I'm going to take refuge and basically what my culture has programmed me to think is important. You know, my own tribal interests, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or progressive or conservative, we've got our own sort of <clears throat> value system based on how We've allowed this mind to get programmed. And then that's what we take refuge in. Like we're scorekeeping. Oh, the guy I don't like, he got hit. Yeah. Or the guy I like, the persons I like, they got hit. No, bad. Right? And that's what we take refuge in, the sort of sport of our likes and dislikes, of who we're aligned with and who we're aligned against. And when we're down, like when our side is getting beat up, Oh, when our side is on top, oh, right? (laughs) And that sort of is human life a lot of the time. And if it's not sports or if it's not politics, then maybe it's celebrity culture or gossip at the office or something like that even within our own families, who's up, who's down. And that's kind of our refuge, And we'll be subject to that unless we come together like we do here and remind ourselves. We hear these sort of perennial voices that say, you know what? There's actually freedom, peace, love, whatever you want to call it, that will allow you to show up in your life in a fearless, beautiful way. But it isn't enough for anyone to tell us that. We have to follow through. This is the thing, you know, in the Buddhist tradition, they're very kind of blunt about this point. Basically, like one of our teachers in our lineage said, the Buddha's already done his work. Now it's our turn. (laughs) But it isn't enough that our spiritual ancestors have done their work. The question is, Are we interested enough in our complicated lives to put some time aside where the conditions will be relatively suitable to look inward and to not take the bait to once again think about our to-do list or plan or worry or fantasize and instead to listen. We're listening to the space, to the silent, empty, peaceful, 
still space of here and now. Not what's moving in the body, not what's moving in the mind. So we're sort of learning to see through the activity of the present moment into something that's profoundly subtle but available. And that's that dynamic of Buddha knowing Dhamma. It's going from what's easy to open to to what's not easy to open to because it's subtle. Again, not because it's not here or available, but because our mind is in the habit of only noticing what's gross. When uh, a lot of you know Wynne Fricke, the co-founder of Common Ground, and my partner for many, many years now. Uh, she's in India right now at a yoga Ayurvedic spa, and they're doing this intense, intense kind of healing cleanse, um, doing all this sort of traditional Ayurvedic stuff besides the yoga. And uh, has had a lot of headaches and nausea as she's sort of moving through this two-week cleanse. And... Uh, but she's noticed like the food, they have like specialized diets and like it's all this sort of traditional Ayurvedic work. But she's just, I just had a brief conversation with her uh, last night and she was saying how she's finally beginning to taste the food, like the subtlety of the food. Because it was so sort of bland initially that things are starting to come alive. Because, you know, when we're in a sort of frozen, reactive, oppressed, ordinary state of being a human being, we only notice what's really intense. This is really the downside of being a frightened, oppressed, beaten down, confused human being. And then we rely on intensity. Think about the movies we watch, the things we read, the conversations we have. And even the food, did I say this already? The food we eat, right? Spicy, and you know, we need something new and different because what's simple, what's ordinary, like, you know, seeing the branching of the twigs and branches against the blue sky, right? Like that we get to see in the winter when we look up through a tree. We don't notice that sort of the beauty of that branching Right? But it's actually quite beautiful how nature, the mystery of nature, knows how to reach for the sun. So the leaves, right? That's that, that lawful branching spreading out is really something beautiful. I mean, just like everything's beautiful, but we don't notice it because it's subtle. But when our, our mind settles down, then we really see this is the telltale sign of dropping in in a deep way, tasting what's subtle, is that when we come out, everything's beautiful. Even the arguments, even how you know human beings are finding their way to solve problems inefficiently, even there there's some beauty, surprisingly, in everything. Everything starts to break our heart. That's another telltale sign. So that's just uh, offering. Now we'll do the refuges and precepts.
together. It takes about 10 minutes to do this recitation. And you should experiment in your own way if you feel inspired to find some time once a week, once a month, on the full moon, for example. So this is on page 35. And we'll need five volunteers on the page 36 and 37 for each of the five precepts. We need a volunteer to read the comments from Thich Nhat Hanh, this uh, wonderful Buddhist teacher. Yeah, do you want to read the first one? Anybody want to read the second one? Yeah, thanks, Haya. Who would like to read the third precept sharing? Thanks, Corey. The fourth? Julie? Yeah, and Ellen, is it? Jean, sorry, Jean. (laughs) Yeah, if you do the fifth, that would be great. Good. So a lot of us use this gesture. You don't have to, but it's common in some of the Eastern traditions like Buddhism. It's just a gesture of gratitude and respect. Feel free to use that if you want. We begin by (coughs) acknowledging our teacher, this person who lived 2,500 years ago or so. And then we take refuge in the Buddha three times, Dhamma three times, Sangha three times. We repeat that, reflect on those refuges based on maybe what I said today. And then we'll chant each of the five refuges, first in the Pali language, then in English, and then we'll listen to one of our community members read Thich Nhat Hanh's comments about that precept. So let's begin, page 35. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang saranang gachami, Dhammang saranang gachami, Sangang saranang gachami, Dutiampi buddhang saranang gachami, Dutiampi dhammang saranang gachami, Dutiampi sangang saranang gachami, Tatiampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Sangang Saranang Gachami I take refuge in the Buddha, trusting inherent peace and freedom of a heart free from clinging. So just reflect on that for a moment. Just the sense of the Buddha as being awake. And then the next one. I take refuge in the Dharma, trusting mindful awareness of the way things are. So not just the gross truth of the present moment, but remember, we're cultivating an interest in what's subtle, what's behind the scenes. And now the third refuge. 
I take refuge in the Sangha, trusting wisdom and compassion who show us the way. So just the reminders, each of us in our own lives, the reminders of those people who have shown up beautiful ways, powerful ways in their lives, creative ways, expressing fearlessness and compassionate love. Let's do the five precepts now. So we'll do the Pali first. Just do the best you can. Then English, and then we'll listen. First one. Panati pata where amani sika padang samariyami. I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. We'll just take a few seconds and reflect on this commitment to non-harming, what that might look like in our lives. And now the second. Adina dana where amani sika padang samadhi I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. So again, just taking a few seconds, we reflect on this commitment not to take what hasn't been given. And now the third. Kame su mitchachara where amani sikapadang samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from causing harm through sexual misconduct. Thank you. 
And we take a moment, reflect that as sexual beings, how can this be expressed in healthy ways that doesn't cause harm? And now the fourth. Musawada where amini sika padang samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from false and harmful speech. Reflecting for a few seconds. And now the fifth. Sura Maria Maja Pamaratana, where Amini Sika Padang Samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from the misuse of intoxicants. A reflection. In the end now, Idam me silang magafalanyana sa pachayoho tu. May my conduct conduce to attainment of the highest fruits of liberation. And then that last paragraph. Taking refuge, 
undertaking the five mindfulness trainings and practicing the way of awareness and insight gives rise to benefits without limit. I offer to share all blessings and merit with my parents, teachers, family, friends, and with all beings everywhere. May this life and practice contribute to the great stream of causes and conditions leading to happiness, peace, liberation for all beings. May all beings be happy. There. So that's our quarterly refuge and precept recitation. And again, either in a very informal, personal way or formal, traditional way, you might just explore some kind of time when you, on purpose, reflect on what is the refuge? What does your heart trust? What value? What direction? What do you wish to stay attuned to in your lives? Because if we don't intend to connect to what's most important, we're going to be pushed around by the forces of our culture and we'll value, we'll care about what we've been programmed to, tr- to care about. That's just how it is, right? Because we're a social being. So we naturally have a lot of sensitivity. We're taking our cues to these external uh, forces. And the whole point of sort of spiritual teachings is to point to something that's more subtle, that gets lost in the kind of rougher, grosser mix of culture. We tend to lose sight of it, right? Because culture tends to be the forces, the cultural forces, tend to be more around greed, hatred, and delusion. And that's what kind of keeps culture doing what it does. (laughs) As rich as it can be, it's definitely limited in that way. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.